All right, welcome back to the Bad Movie Journalist, where we celebrate the wonder of mediocre art. I'm Christian, certified bastard son of Zeus. And I'm Connor, certified jock hipster. Your certified is much better than mine this week, by the way. It kind of came off the top of the head. I don't know. We're going to get into why I'm the bastard son of Zeus, because today we're talking about Clash of the Titans. No, not your mama's 1980s version, but the cool and edgy tough guy 2010 version. It's action-packed and kind of underwhelming. Now, if you will, join me up a trip up Mount Olympus. Christian, I have my carabiners. I have my rope. Let's get to climbing. Clash of the Titans. Oh boy. This is a action fantasy film that came out in 2010 and is based, and I'm saying this very loosely based, on the Greek myth of Perseus. It is a remake of the 1981 film of the same name that is actually kind of excellent and was directed by uh, French director Louis Leterrier, who is known for things like Transporter, The Incredible Hulk, and Now You See Me. So we're still waiting for Louis Leterrier to put out his first really good movie and stars Sam Worthington from Amazon. Gemma Arteron from James Bond's Quantum of Solace, Mads Mikkelsen, Alexa Davalos from The Chronicles of Rinnick, and the powerhouses Ralph Fiennes and Liam Neeson in strange supporting roles that we'll get into. Um, the film was originally set to be released in March 26th of 2010, but it got moved to April 2nd because the film had to be converted to 3D. Now, the only reason I bring that up, Christian, is because we get when we get to fun facts, I have a whole backstory about how this conversion of 3D has caused a lot of stress on this movie, um, is not very good for this movie, and has caused some people to distance themselves from this movie. That makes perfect sense because this came out right around the time where 3d was at maximum hype i think this was coming off right off the back of avatar so everyone was 3d crazy and did you see this movie in theaters i did not this was actually the first time somehow that i had seen this movie so i had seen it in theaters and i saw it in 3d and this is a classic example of a movie that had no business to be in 3d it didn't add anything it didn't look very good it was all around just a complete cash grab yeah so i'll dive into this now really quickly but the 3d conversion of this film cost an estimated 10 million dollars and leterrier basically disowns this movie for this decision by the studio claiming the studio forced it on him he refused to turn for the sequel he's now claiming this movie is quote not his movie because of it Um, essentially the backstory is that leterrier tried to get them to film in 3d they didn't want to he filmed the whole movie in 2d and then they, at the end, were like, no, we have to shoehorn 3D in. It was really expensive. It looks really terrible, apparently. I, I didn't watch it in 3D, but apparently it looks awful. The film was nominated for a Golden Raspberry for, quote, worst eye-gouging misuse of 3D. Um, it pushed the start date back. It apparently was just a huge disaster and basically cost Leterrier the next job because he didn't want to work with the studio anymore. Ridiculous. Completely Ridiculous. But it did not, um, you know, the misuse of 3D did not deter people from watching it because it grossed $493 million worldwide on a $125 million budget. Um, On its opening weekend, it earned $61 million domestically. Wasn't the number one movie two weeks in a row, edging out 
Date Night, and How to Train Your Dragon, which was the previous winner and is, by all accounts, a great movie. Um, so that was an interesting one that I saw. And then the success led to Wrath of the Titans, which was the sequel, released two years later, coincidentally has the same Rotten Tomatoes score. That score is a 27. 27% really terrible on 260 reviews. The audience score is a 40, so not any better. And then Metacritic has it a 39 out of 100 on 37 peer reviews. Ouch, that is really bad. For comparison, the original Clash of Titans, which came out in 1981, has a 68% critic score in Rotten Tomatoes, 70% audience score, and a 59 out of 100 on Metacritic. So across the board, everyone likes the original more. Yeah, and what's interesting about that when I was doing the research for this is that there was a conscious effort made to try and move away from a lot of the the plot of the first one. You've seen, Have you seen the first uh, Clash of the Titans, the original one? I have. I had watched it in high school for, I think, history class. Okay, so you'll remember it's a, the the plot line is a little more about like kind of the like the gods manipulating things on like you know quote unquote a chessboard is the way they put it. And this one, you know, they made a conscious decision to get away from that um, and to make it more of like a actual conflict. And I think well we'll get into that in the bin, but that definitely blew up in their faces. Um, the general consensus from critics for this movie is that what it lacked in plot, it failed to make up for it effects. Um, and that's especially considering Avatar comes out the year before this, I believe. So Avatar is a movie that has a lot of faults, um, but effects is certainly not one of them. So when you're coming off the back of that, and that's what Sam Worthington is making his name for, and then you come into this with what they churned out in terms of plot and don't put in the effects, it, it definitely shows up. Um, Keith Turan of the LA Times wrote... It's doubtful that records are kept of this sort of thing, but consider the possibility that Clash of the Titans is the first film to actually be made worse by using 3D. And A.O. Scott of At The Movie, this was the most positive one that I could find in the reviews, but is also not that great, wrote, It's a little campy, a little creepy, a little too long, and sometimes a bit of a mess. But it adds up to a welcoming dose of old-fashioned B-movie entertainment. So I don't know when you have a budget of $125 million and someone goes, you're a B-movie, if that's what you were going for. But uh, Christian, what were your general thoughts re-watching this movie? This movie for me was a serious mixed bag. There was some stuff that I thought worked and some stuff that I thought didn't. I don't think the writing is particularly great, but I liked some of the creature designs. Some of the monsters in this movie, we'll get into it later, but I thought looked pretty decent. The worst thing for me in this movie is that, in my opinion, Sam Worthington just cannot act at all. Yeah, I felt really similarly. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a unique situation when I come to these movies because I do the research before and so I get to see a lot of the reviews. And from the reviews that I read, I thought this movie was going to be just awful. And I try not to let them like paint my my perception as I'm watching it. But then I watched this movie and I was like, this movie's kind of entertaining, it's moving very quickly, but then you get into some stuff and you're like, this stuff doesn't work at all. So I took a lot of good stuff out of it, but also at the end of it, you're kind of like, that was a, a hot mess. But we'll dive into that real quickly. Um, Christian, I want to run through some fun facts with you because there were a couple that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, so in this movie, to keep things 
factual, Sam Worthington is depicted as wearing sandals. In reality, he's wearing Nike trainers with toes painted on the top, which he needed to perform stunts because he couldn't do them in the sandals. I made a conscious effort to look for that while I was going, and they actually don't give a clear enough shot at all at any point in the movie to see his feet. Um, Matt Bellamy who is the lead singer of the quite famous rock band Muse, was tabbed to do the music for this movie, but then dropped out to focus on the band's touring, which is kind of probably the best decision he's ever made. Along those lines, an orchestral version of The Bird and the Worm by one of my favorite rock bands, The Used, was composed for this film, so it was I didn't notice the soundtrack a lot, but it was definitely an interesting idea that they were having for the soundtrack coming into it. I had no idea about The Used, and it's actually really funny that the bird and the worm by the by the use got into the final movie and that being one of your favorite bands because muse is one of my favorite bands of all time especially during this time period so i remember when the news was that matt bellamy was going to do the music for this movie and then i saw the movie and notably matt bellamy had nothing to do with it so i was very confused and disappointed i would have not that this is a good movie or i think it would have been improved by something composed by Matt, but I was disappointed just being a big fan of Muse. It kind of sucked to see that not work out. Do you know if, if this is something he does? Like, are you aware of any movies or anything that he's done the soundtrack for? Or was this sort of like, they were just like, Muse is really good. Let's tab this guy and see what he's got. I think this was a one-off occurrence. I could be wrong, but I think this is the only thing of that nature they've ever done uh completely unrelated but i think it was during the 2010 or whenever whenever the olympics were held in china around this time they had kind of like retrofitted one of their songs survival to fit the theme of the olympics and actually no he has done this before because notably stephanie meyer was a really big fan of muse so during all of the twilight movies there is a muse song and for the second for eclipse for i think it was for twilight eclipse they actually wrote an entire song called neutron star collision for the actual movie uh and it's not in anywhere except written for that movie so i guess they have done this before interesting it's a weird kind of you know moving doors thing there of where if Muse does this, maybe they transition into doing a lot more stuff like that. Um, but the last fun fact that I had is that Emma Thompson almost shows up in this movie accidentally. So there's a story that Emma Thompson told where she was visiting Liam Neeson, who she's friends with on the set. She was filming, I think it was Nanny McPhee, like on the plot over. She went to visit Neeson during a break. Neeson was about to shoot a scene. She was in the middle of the of the set and the camera started to roll And she is in such like a big clumsy Nanny McPhee costume that she couldn't get off of the set in time and she had to hide behind the throne so that cameras would not pick her up. So somewhere in that movie, Emma Thompson is hiding behind the throne that you see to not be in the shot, which I thought was very straight. Imagine if like you caught like her foot or something like that sticking out how like what an Easter egg that would be. That'd be hilarious. Out of nowhere, you just see Nanny McPhee just in the background of the scene. Who is this woman? Why is she dressed so modern compared to all these guys? Is It becomes a rabbit hole about this movie claiming that it's actually about time travel. 
I am here for the Nanny McPhee Clash of the Titans crossover. That would be the most ambitious crossover in cinematic history. But Christian, let's dive into the bin. Um, And the one thing that I want to touch on, which is the biggest thing in my opinion about this movie, is that the plot is awful. The plot is bad. It is really difficult to follow. I was, at points, I had to pull up, like, the Wikipedia page to read through what had happened in the past or what I was supposed to understand already to understand what was going on now. They didn't really, like, explain why either side was at war. They basically just said they've declared war, and they declared war by knocking down a statue. They don't get into, like, anything in terms of, like, background for most of anything like they try and jam everything into this like three minute session and then the movie moves at like this breakneck pace where you know i appreciate like the movie moving along and everything like that but they also just have character things change on the fly like they don't give enough time to why zeus comes around at the end they don't give enough time into why Ralph Fiennes feels the way he does as Hades. They don't give enough time to Mads Mikkelsen kind of changing over towards the end. It's just very, very sudden that these characters flip over, and it's real, real hard to follow. I agree. The plot of this movie is not very good, and I think the problem with it is is that if you look at it abstractly, this should be a simple plot. It's a classic story of someone who does not want to go on a journey who has to take responsibility and become the person he's supposed to be. That sounds easy. This movie somehow messes that up really poorly. Like you're saying, characters make decisions on the fly. I thought it was such a strange and just crazy choice that the gods, they're all hanging out in Mount Olympus as the Greek gods do, and they're kind of just, I don't know, just hanging out. And then Hades shows up and he tells them, guys, we're losing our power right now, so I think we should go kill thousands of people because that way they'll start to pray towards the gods again. And without missing a beat, Zeus tells him, sure, let's do it. Sounds awesome. Let's go right for it. But while that's going on, Zeus is also helping Perseus the entire time. He gives him the Pegasus. He gives him the sword. And he shows up at the end, kind of winking at Perseus and his screen like, yeah, I was helping you out the whole time. You like that? How about that stuff? I was actually good. No, dude, you were not. You let Hades do this. There's a part in the beginning of the movie where um, one of the other gods or someone comes up to Zeus and is like, there's a demigod in Argos. It's your son, it's Perseus. Do you want to offer him salvation? And then he goes, has he prayed to me? No, he's just like the rest. Kill him. And then with basically no other character involvement, I think he just shows up in a couple lines. He then shows up on a mountain and offers salvation to Perseus. And you don't have any idea why he's just suddenly changed his mind. Like, it just, it doesn't track at all. I generally thought the plot moved along pretty well, you know, for for what it was. But there's this one obvious lull, like, right when they get to the underworld, that's, like, it feels like ten minutes, but it's probably closer to, like, seven. But what if you just took those seven to ten minutes and just showed us little clips of Zeus watching Perseus and starting to feel bad? Or what if you had shown him having, like, a different conversation with someone where he starts to show some emotion or some empathy towards his, you know, son down there? Like, you could have done that and it would have fit in a lot better, but they they valued, 
you know, pushing along this plot and trying to get it in what seemed like a timeline so quickly that you lose all that stuff that would have tied it together a lot better. I agree. It should have been flushed out. And I think exactly what you're saying is right. There are a couple parts that they could have trimmed up a little more to give some much needed exposition to characters like Zeus. All right, the next thing that I want to touch on, because the the next thing everyone touches on is the effects, but Christian, you wrote a note here, and I kind of want to let you go here. Sam Worthington is a bad actor, right? Absolutely, yeah. He just, in my opinion, just cannot act. He was fine in Avatar, and then everything I saw him in after this was just a complete miss. He was in this, this was a miss. He was in Terminator Salvation, which I personally like, but... Sam Worthington is not the reason I enjoy that movie. I just am an unabashed fan of the Terminator movies. So there's just nothing else I've seen him in that I thought was very good. I want to start calling this... Originally, the idea I came up with was the Kitsch effect for Taylor Kitsch, who we mentioned back in Battleship. But we might have to consider the Sam Worthington um, effect here. The fact that Sam Worthington is a bad actor... And no offense, Sam, if you're listening, you know, I'm sure you're doing your best. Congratulations on the nine avatars you're about to make. But the the fact that I don't connect with his character on screen or understand anything that he's going through, the fact that I am completely uninterested in what he's doing on screen kills this movie. Because if per- if Perseus is just even 20% more accessible, or if you understand where he's coming from at all, then maybe you get more involved into the relationship between him and, and Io, or him and Hades, or him and Zeus. And instead, it's basically just like, Sam Worthington is mad, Sam Worthington doesn't want to do this, he just wants to kill Hades, Sam Worthington randomly comes around to having friends in a team, and then Sam Worthington wins. And I don't have any idea why. He he gives me no no motivation, no reason to invest in his characters at all. That's definitely the biggest problem with him as an actor. And like you said, I'm sure he's doing the best. And I'm sure he's working with what I have. And admittedly, in Avatar, he gives a decent performance. I wouldn't say it's like groundbreaking or anything. But he's fine as that character. Everything else I've seen him in, though, he is just completely unrelatable. And I don't know if it's the way he talks, how he carries his body language, the choice in script that he has to work with. But I always find his characters very hard to put myself in his positions. It always comes off as a lack of emotion. This is kind of a sidestep, but one of the things I always heard about the Terminator Salvation movie that people didn't like is that it felt hollow it felt like there was no heart at it in it at all and i kind of feel that way in this movie as well because sam worthington is just completely unrelatable yeah it just i don't connect with him at all and because of that it just everything that they're trying to do they're rushing along but what they're trying to do just falls flat um so i think that you know and that kills so many of these movies that we watch where it's like that was a cool concept and this was cool in the movie but then you just can't get behind the main character what did you think of ralph fines just doing voldemort 2.0 but with wings that was horrible i just ray fines is a good actor he's been in he's a great actor in fact i love ray fines he is phoning it in so hard in this movie he is literally doing shitty Voldemort and 
so much so that when the movie started and he was introduced on screen and he's monologuing, I thought this was an actor impersonating Ray Fine's portrayal of Voldemort because it really just seems as if he walked in here, they told him, hey, do Voldemort. And he begrudgingly shrugged and said, ah, fine, whatever, I'll do it, I guess. And that's how we ended up th- with this performance. It's just, it's Voldemort again, but less good. It's the strangest thing. And, like, Voldemort's a great villain. Like, don't get me wrong. But the second he came on screen and started talking, I went, that's Ra- that's Ray Fine's Voldemort voice. And then they had, like, the same sort of, like disappear and appear in a cloud of black smoke that Voldemort does and like after his first seat I was like they just have him doing Voldemort I I can't see that having been his decision but he's literally just playing the same character and I mean tons of actors make their living on you know just recycling the same thing over and over again and making it work and you know good on them or anything like that but Ray Fiennes is a great actor he's fantastic in so many things and to just give him the role of Hades one of the most like compelling villains in mythology just overall and to be like just go ahead and do the same villain you've been doing for a decade in another movie franchise is just uh, it's it was stunning watching it on screen i just never understood it the entire time yeah it doesn't work at all and the only other thing i want to touch on here before we move in to the beauty is some of the effects in this movie just look downright awful like you said medusa looks like a character in the video games i actually wrote down twice in my notes both when the scorpions came on and when medusa came on great which dark souls boss is this because they look like they are just from a video game and while i like some of the monsters in this movie some of the other stuff does not work at all the god's armor all looks terrible it looks Like, someone cranked up the lens flare to the absolute maximum on every single thing in Mount Olympus. And I don't know what they were trying to go for, but it looks terrible. Yeah, it's it's not good. And what's actually funny is because, you know, the release the Kraken scene from this is like a a really popular uh, gif that I've used many times in my life. And I thought, like, the the way his armor looked was because GIFs are in, like, low-grade, low-quality, you know, filming, essentially. I thought it was, like, a weird reflection of just dumbing down the quality of the video. No, that's what it looks like all 145 minutes that you have to watch it in this video. In this movie, I mean. It's, it's very strange. And what you're... Like, you brought it up. Some of the effects in this movie are good. Like, there's some things that I looked at, and I was we'll get into it in the beauty, but there were some things I looked at and was like, damn, that was impressive. And then there were some things like, the, like everything involving the scorpions, where I was like, what is that? Like, the hand transforming into the scorpion. They cut a scorpion in a fight, and they obviously just dumped, like, Nickelodeon slime essentially on the guy like you said medusa looks just awful she looks like she's ripped straight out of like a 2002 ps2 video game it's just when you come off the back of seeing what you can do with james cameron's avatar and then you put this effort in and it's so inconsistent the bad parts just shine through so badly because like we both said it's not that bad in some places but it's terrible in some places agreed that's that's pretty much how I felt about it, too. That's all I had to say that was negative about this movie, and I'm about ready to turn face here. What about you, Connor? 
There were two things that I wanted to touch on real fast, and it's just because I don't truly understand how they ended up in the movie. Um, one, there's a line where it says Hades gave birth to the Kraken. So the Kraken is of Nordic descent, like it's from Nordic mythology. So I don't, I don't understand that you know the, the Kraken's a great villain and all. It's a great monster. Just shoehorning it in by saying, "Nah, Hades made it." Didn't work for me. Um, and then the Jin. I want to talk for like thirty seconds about the Jin. So cr- correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of Jin is that. They are A, of Arab descent, like they're from Arab back lore, and B, that they're spirits. So they're supernatural beings that are portrayed as either spirits or demons, depending on the uh, adaptation and all that. But they're definitely not whatever this thing was that I looked at. Like, that thing came out and I said, what is that? And they said, they're jinn. And I was like, they're jinn? Like, and I had to Google what I thought jinn was. So I don't understand how they got to that conclusion where they brought this thing on screen who had the the Blade Trinity Dracula effect where they had this huge costume on that they couldn't move around in and didn't really at all embody what I understood Jin to be. They have no place in this movie and I don't think they had any other reason for being this in this movie other than they looked cool because I thought they looked cool and I think the idea was that these were these eternal fighters who slowly replace parts of their body with what looked to me like wood, but maybe it was stone, maybe it was magic rock. I don't know, but eventually they be kind of became these monsters over time. I'm not sure. It's not really spoken very well. It doesn't fit into Greek mythology. It just doesn't work. It's unnecessary completely. Yeah, I did not. I did not get it. It does not fit into this and they didn't have to do it either you could have called it anything else from greek mythology i'm sure there are spellcasters and all sorts of desert dwellers and all these sorts of things you could call on and to take an arab ideology and then just misrepresent it so bad just just did not sit well with me but that is it you know i think that's the quickest we've ever wrapped up the bin so let's move into the beauty christian this movie's entertaining isn't it I think so. It was it's a pretty action-packed ride. I think the beginning is a little slow, probably the first 30 minutes while it's setting up all the pieces, but once they get going and they're on the adventure, I think it moves pretty quickly. Yeah, the the plot moves along really really well. And while I was watching it, I was thinking about um how did this get made as an episode, which is probably my favorite one on Van Helsing. And that movie is, by the way, like seven hours long. It's not really. It's like two hours and 15 minutes. But it's way longer than it has to be. And Jason Manzoukas just keeps saying on that podcast, this movie is over two hours long. And some of these movies we watch you just sit with. This movie didn't have that. It moved through really quickly. Um, you know, to sometimes it was the detriment you didn't understand plot, but you definitely didn't feel like it was overstaying. I thought some of the action scenes were pretty well done. A lot of the set pieces were pretty well done. So I thought all of that was really positive for, you know, what was essentially a summer blockbuster. That's kind of sometimes what you want. That's basically how the Fast and Furious movies have made so much money is they just move through at breakneck speed. You don't really have time to think about what's going on and they just entertain you for 90 to 100 minutes and then you go on your way. So I thought it was, you know, much more rewarding than I thought it was going to be after reading what people thought about it. I agree. I liked how fast this movie was overall, and you're completely right about comparing this to something like Van Helsing, which 
embarrassingly enough, as a kid, I thought Van Helsing was an awesome movie, and I tried watching it maybe one or two years ago, and I made it about 30 to 45 minutes in and saw that this movie still had an hour and a half left and had to stop. I could not take it anymore. No, it's. It, I had strangely a similar experience where I have like a really fond memory of watching that movie with my dad in the theaters when I was a kid. And then I turned it on, like you were saying, like somewhat recently, and I watched it and I got halfway through and was like, this is the longest and worst movie I've seen this year. Like it was just real tough to watch. Um, and thankfully, this movie kind of understood you got to move through pretty quickly. Um, where did you fall on some of the non-Ralph Fiennes acting in this movie? Because I was kind of on the fence, but I'm leaning towards giving it a positive sense. But I think that might just be because I appreciate overacting more than I should. I agree. Other than Sam Worthington and Ray Fiennes, I think everyone else gives a decent job. Liam Neeson, surprisingly, is giving a better performance here than he does in any of the Taken movies where he looks like he is asleep the entire time. So he does a fun Zeus where he's yelling a lot and beating his fists around. Mads Mikkelsen is always really fun. I He's playing the same character he always does, but he's good at it, and I think it works. Gemma Arterton, she's pretty good. Also, I think she's going for this kind of beyond life, eternal living kind of being, and I think she gives off that vibe pretty well too. So everyone else, I think does a pretty decent job what do you think yeah i wish they would have given Gemma arterton a little more to do to be honest she just kind of shows up sometimes and it's pretty good when she shows up but i wish they had like had her stick around a lot more and develop her story a little more especially because i've never seen wrath of the titans so i don't know how it plays out but it seems like they were trying to shoehorn like a love interest in there um and i would have taken that a little more if we had gotten more from her mads mickelson is probably one of my top five favorite actors because he just shows up he's this non-nonsense stoic character who throws in some funny lines every now and then and leaves and that's what he does in every movie and it's great this is like the role Liam Neeson was born to play he just gets to come in say like three to five lines in his best god voice bang his fist command someone somewhere and then leave for about an hour and a half and then come back and do the same thing this is like we, we watched Liam Neeson in a couple movies on this pod, like, really phone it in, and I appreciate when he actually shows up and is just given something that is right in his wheelhouse. Also, too, I did not realize Liam Neeson was Zeus in this movie, so Liam Neeson, before I watched it at least, so Liam Neeson has now been Ra's al Ghul, Zeus, and Qui-Gon Jinn. Oof, man, that is a trifecta. This dude has been all over the place. He's he's racking them up. Who's a who's the British guy who plays Magneto, whose name I always disrespectfully forget? Sir Ian McClellan. Yeah, he's starting to get up there with Sir Ian McKellen for um, having been all these like really powerful, iconic characters. So good on Liam Neeson for getting that work while he can. In terms of like the effects of this movie, you know, we touched on some of the negative ones. I thought some of the ones were really, really good. Like, the Stegian sisters are particularly horrifying. They're really gross. Uh, They're just fumbling around the floor. I like that they are completely eyeless. Their mouths look just like vacant holes going into their body. And they're just crawling around on the floor everywhere. And I thought it was just a really cool and kind of spooky scene that actually really worked for me when they go to visit them and they get the eye and they're looking at it and they're telling Perseus that he's gonna die and then he just throws the eyeball back so they have to fumble around to go get it I thought all that was pretty well done 
Yeah, the, the whoever the actors are that they cast on that, which, you know, I, di- I didn't look up, so I apologize to not giving them credit, but they did a great job. The effects there were really, really well done. I actually have a little bit of a controversial dig based on reviews that I thought. I thought the Kraken looked pretty cool. It's definitely by no means like what I imagine when someone says a giant squid, because it kind of looked like a weird cross between like Sin from Final Fantasy X, who I know you've never played those games, but it's essentially just a giant whale, and Nemesis from the Resident Evil series. But it was way better, A, than I was expecting, and B, it was kind of cool looking. I liked it too. Uh, again, the effects on it are not super amazing. It doesn't look like a real creature, but I like this depiction of the Kraken. It's a big step up from the original Kraken that was in the first movie where he essentially looks like a big dude wearing a suit with, I think, forearms. He looks really bad in that movie. He looks pretty cool here. If I'm not mistaken, I think this came out around the time that Gears of War did, maybe minus, plus or minus a year. And it, to me, looked very evocative of the enemies in that game. So I thought it looked really cool overall. It's clearly not true to the ca- to the Kraken at all. Strangely enough, I think Pirates of the Caribbean gets the Kraken the best, where it's literally a giant squid, as the Kraken should be. But if we're going to get this crazy monster version of it, I think this one's pretty cool. Yeah, I think this is actually the only thing that this movie does better than the original, in my opinion, is the Kraken. Because, you know, I've just Googled to, like, refresh my mind. I I think, if you don't know this, like, the, the first Clash of the Titans is done a lot in, like, claymation. Because they didn't have, like, a lot of the effects that you obviously we have nowadays but even like movies that come out somewhat around this like star wars ended up having the kraken in the first movie is essentially like a man like it's got four arms it has a torso and a neck and a waist it's got a head it looks more like a transforming werewolf than a squid um so you know (laughs) given the standards that we're holding it to i think that the kraken in this was pretty cool like you were saying it doesn't really fit as well like i you know the scorpions have this problem too where they kind of look somewhat obviously implanted but considering what i thought the kraken was going to look like before it came out um you know i thought they did a pretty good job there and then you noted this and this actually made me laugh this is probably the best adaptation of the greek gods that we've gotten in like a mainstream movie The Greek gods, they are right on the dime here. And that's something that I actually really appreciate about this movie is that famously the Greek gods were horrible, horrible people or horrible deities, if you will. They were petty. They were vengeful. They were angry. They were prideful. They were jealous. They were just all of the worst qualities that man has. The gods were, is what they showed. And... It just seemed really, really true that this is what the Greek gods would do, that they were so obsessed with having power that they would decide to kill all the people. So that's something that I actually think the movie got nail on the head. Yeah, so I had actually written down in the beginning of this movie, probably about 30 to 35 minutes in, I don't understand why the gods care this much. Because if you're actual gods, if you've created these things that are running around below you, and all of a sudden they start disrespecting you, in ways that really like it's this one island it's just argos who cares you're literal gods zeus is the god of lightning he is the god of gods who cares what this king thinks and then you wrote that note and i remembered what the greek gods were like and they're just awful 
awful, awful beings. Every writing about them from the time has them being these these just terrible, terrible leaders. And I really actually appreciated that they made him this petty. Like, Zeus declaring war on humans because they destroyed a statue of him and said that they thought that this princess was really pretty, just as, as on character for Zeus as you could possibly get. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean... The Greek gods famously did stuff like this all the time. I mean, take something like the story of Prometheus, where just because he gave fire to man, that way they could, I don't know, literally see and have warmth and have some sort of knowledge of tools. They chained him to a pole and let birds eat his stomach forever? <laughs> Crazy! No, it's it's wild. Um, Christian, I did want to introduce one thing to you um, on this podcast. So I've mentioned before that I have a running thing where I identify, quote unquote, that guys in movies. Um, you know, people I look at and I'm like, hey, I remember that guy. And then I have to Google who it is. I have officially started a that guy roster. So there were four in this movie I wanted to run through. The first one is Peter, and I'm so sorry, sir, Peter Postlethwaite. Um, who is Spiros, the dad in the beginning, or the adopted dad who finds Perseus. He's Maurice Fisher in Inception. Um, and it took a Google to put that together. Nicholas Holtz in this movie in The King's Guard, a soldier apparently named Eusebius. I had to look that up because they actually don't give anyone in this movie names. They just kind of casually come across them. But he's Beast in X-Men First Class. He's the young Beast um, from those movies. Liam Cunningham's in this movie as Solon. Uh, he's Davos in, King of, in Game of Thrones. And Hans Matheson is in this movie. I don't know if you've watched Robert Downey Jr., Sherlock Holmes, but he's Lord Cowand in those movies. Um, and I recognized him from those. So those were my four that guys from this film. Huh, I had no idea about a few of those, but I did know Nicholas Holt. I like Nicholas Holt a lot, especially once he kind of got to Mad Max Fury Road and he's playing one of the war boys. He's awesome. He's a really, really fun actor. He's got a very distinct look about him, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I recognized his face almost right away, but what uh, what, what war boy is he in, in Mad Max? I don't think I recognized him. I think he's the, he's the main war boy, I'm pretty sure. Like, the one that goes with him and kind of changes side and falls in love with the girl and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure that's him. Oh, my God, it is him. I'm Googling it now. Wow, I didn't... And it's so obvious now that you said that I'm looking at him, but I didn't put that together. I was kind of hoping he was the guy who just played that really heavy guitar. Have you heard that story about, like, how that guitar is, like was some ridiculous weight and they had that guy strapped up so he just had to hold it for like eight hours a day essentially god that's amazing and that is one of my favorite scenes probably in cinema and as a whole that is an incredible film top to bottom as a wild film that was actually my first not to get us too far off track here but that was actually my first ever watch of a mad max film and i left with like my jaw on the floor like what did i actually just view um but to to steer us back into the track here christian is there anything else you wanted to touch on in the positives for this movie no that's pretty much it actually the only other thing that i do want to say and this is really doesn't have any bearing on the plot at all but one small callback to the original that i thought was really fun was before they're going to go off on their adventure Perseus pulls out the golden owl from the beginning and says something like oh what's this and Madden Mickelson 
unfortunately shoots him down and says, eh, leave that here. We're not going to be needing it. I would have liked to have seen that bird go along with them. Yeah, that would have been fun. Um, I liked the callback, like you said there. I wish they would have done a little more um, with that, like you were just saying. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers. I mean, we're not begging. We could ask that. Um, but... I'm begging. I'm, I'm begging right now. Please, please make another movie. Put a bird in hold there. Hold on, hold on. Don't, don't necessarily make another movie. <laughs> we don't need a third of this Clash of the Titans. Feel free to do another remake and make it, uh, how do you say, better. Uh, but either way, Christian, let's move into The Cell. Why should people watch Clash of the Titans? Well, if you're someone who enjoys Greek mythos, I think this movie's worth a watch. I don't think it does the best job of translating Greek mythology, but we don't really get a lot of movies like this right now. I think we had this and we had uh, a Troy also around this time period, and other than that, there might be one or two big movies. Uh, 300 falls into this category, too, of the swords and sandals kind of genre, but there hasn't been anything, especially in recent memory. I can't think of something that's come out relatively recently that kind of uh, captures this time period at all. So right now, this is kind of one of the avenues. If you want to see something current about Greek mythology, this is kind of the best we got. Yeah, so Greek mythology appears to be pretty hard to pull off in cinema. Uh, but like you said, like you try and list movies of that you know go through this genre, and you think about, like like you said, 300 in Troy, you know, obviously like the the Hercules movies um, from Disney are in the same realm, you know, a little different, obviously. What else comes to mind? Like Hercules from New York featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like, it's really difficult to actually suddenly, and like, this movie's by no means like, you know, an award-winning film or something like that. But I did find a list where this is in the number six, like, best movie ever depicting Greek mythology. And I was having a hard time disputing this movie being the top in the top 10 in that genre because it just appears like it's very hard to pull off um and i think this movie does a pretty good job at some of it it doesn't do a great job at all of it i think this movie would benefit from kind of like the taika watiti treatment of thor ragnarok where if you start poking fun a little bit about how ridiculous some of the stuff in this is you could get to like a humor aspect that would make it a lot a lot better and they did do it in a couple parts in this movie but i feel like if you if you take this stuff a little too seriously it's it's a hard watch and i'm assuming that's why these movies tend to be difficult to pull off or not really well received but in terms of like if you do enjoy this sort of stuff it's a really good you know example of a lot of this sort of stuff and like you mentioned here the story of perseus is apparently one that audiences really like it is. I don't know why, but it seems like audiences just really enjoy this story. We have the 1980s version, which is very famous. We have this movie, which even got a sequel. We have the Percy Jackson series of books and movies that are beloved, I think, at least by some. At least the books are. I'm not too sure about the films. But there's content even on that level being made about this. I wouldn't be surprised at all if in the next... 10 to 15 years we have another rendition of this story because for whatever reason reasons audiences seem to really gravitate towards it yeah i mean it's it's not it's a pretty easy story to tell in terms of like you know it's it's more of like a i guess you would say like revenge sort of thing in the haiti sense but also in like the 
you know, Zeus and his son coming together thing. I actually didn't know. I'd never watched or read the Percy Jackson things. I never, I didn't know that was like based off this. Um, so that's interesting as well. It does make it, I'll, you know, makes it a little more clear why that film was made. Um, I also think this movie kind of gets a bad rap in terms of what people thought of it because it's just to me a really solid example of what I expect from, you know, a quote unquote summer blockbuster movie. It's entertaining. It barely has a plot. But, you know, it's still entertaining. It has big names in it. There's a lot of effects. I actually feel like this movie should have been more well thought of if it wasn't getting probably compared to A, Avatar the year before it, and B, the original one of this film, depending on which side you fall on. If you're mainstream, you know, cinema goers, you probably see this movie come out and you compare the effects to Avatar and the plot's not great. And then you're kind of like, this is not that great of a movie. And if you're, you know, I don't know if you'd call it like a cinephile or, you know, really into Greek mythology, but you have really fond memories of the 1981 version of this and this movie comes out, it's just tough to watch, right? But I think if you stand on its own just in like a, hey, this is a summer movie that came out, it's a great movie to watch on like a Wednesday night when you've got nothing going on, it's, you know... 90 to 100 minutes that goes through pretty quickly it's entertaining you know i feel like it's actually not that bad i was expecting a lot worse than this i i agree it's hard when you have a movie of this genre because although there's not a lot of good movies of this genre the ones that are good are great i like 300 a lot i know some people don't i thought it was pretty good it's compared to things like the original which is beloved gladiator troy these awesome awesome movies so it's a hard genre to break into as it is and like you said this was coming off the heels of avatar this movie would have probably been much more received if they either committed to the 3d from the beginning or left it out entirely because what they did of going back and adding it in later did not work at all and made everything look really, really bad. I agree that I think this movie on its own isn't that bad, but I think it got a poor reputation just because of some of these parts. And another thing that I think makes this movie not good is it would have been better with another main character or another actor playing Perseus because Sam Worthington, we know can't carry a film. It, has shown time and time again that's why other than the avatar movies right now i don't think he does much else so casting someone else as the main character maybe leave ray fines as hades but give him a completely different thing to work with don't tell him to do voldemort again and you fix those couple small things and i think this movie would be a lot better and what's disappointing too is I didn't see anything like a lot of the times you'll see like so-and-so was originally cast or so-and-so was tied to it. It seems like they just wanted Sam Worthington for this role. Um, And he claims to have taken it because he wanted to make a quote clash of the Titans for his nine-year-old nephew's generation end quote, which is not really, you know, good, good on you for looking after, you know, the youth Sam, but it's not really like the best motivation i think for someone when i see them taking like the head of a 125 million dollar movie um so yeah i think what you're saying is correct like if you had gotten me an actor like a good action actor who i could have really dove into like that person's portrayal 
I think I would have liked this movie a lot more. And like, this is not me, you know, saying this person should have been this, but I thought of like a character like Johnny Depp. Like, and again, not Johnny Depp maybe for this role, but you watch Johnny Depp in like action films and for whatever reason, you just kind of buy into whatever he's doing. Um, and like, he doesn't have to do all these crazy stunts and stuff like that, but like, he probably shouldn't work as Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean, but it's such a unique portrayal that I'd almost prefer that than to this like generic cookie cutter stuff we get from Sam Worthington. I agree. I'm not sure who would be a better choice for this. My sick brain has a weird fantasy and I know this wouldn't be good. So before anyone says this is an awful idea, I know. But a really weird and curious part of me wants to see Jason Statham in this role. I think that would be strangely fun, having Jason Statham run around in Argos and trying to go on this on this quest and murdering people. And I don't think it would be a good movie, but I'll tell you this. Jason Statham would have a lot of fun doing that. Do you know who's the best cast for this movie, if we're just going to do something like that, is The Rock? Could you imagine... This movie with The Rock, <laughs> like just how wild all of these sets and stunt scenes would have been. That that movie, I would pay double the price to go watch just to just to see how wacky they would have made everything going on in that film. I love the idea of The Rock being cast because one of the ideas of this movie is that Zeus has a secret son who he's just a guy i mean sam worthington percy's is just a dude if you had the rock in it everyone would know they would say yeah that guy is a demigod look at him i the rock might be a demigod in real life but he wouldn't blend in anywhere everyone would be like yeah no that that guy is a god for sure he is massive yeah, the two the two jumps that The Rock has done into films like this are obviously he was Hercules in Hercules and he was Maui in um, whatever that movie's called Moana. Um, so he's literally just played gods or demigods. But I would really like to see a film where The Rock is walking around, going like, "No, I'm just a normal guy. I don't want to do anything with the gods." Looking like The Rock, especially during a time like this where people were categorically shorter like people back in this time were like barely over five foot like six foot people weren't you know things that existed back then let alone someone who's the rock's size like you probably couldn't get as jacked as the rock was back then and just having him walk onto the earth him be like nine inches taller than liam neeson standing next to his quote-unquote dad and being like no i'm not a god would be hilarious there would be so much like underneath comedy to all of that that i would really appreciate i agree it sounds like a lot of fun let's get it the rock if you're listening to this which i know you are i know the rock i i know i know you're listening to this podcast right now i need you to play perseus in the inevitable 2025 reboot of this franchise let's go mgm you don't know how to contact us but we'll let you know later call us up we've got some plans for you uh christian Lead us into the final question, my friend. What are we asking ourselves today? So I thought long and hard about this question. And initially, I had a pretty simple question written out of, oh, which Greek mythology story would you like to see in a movie next? And I thought, eh, that's not fun enough. So our question for this week is, if you were the bastard son of a Greek god, who would be your bastard parent? This is a really really interesting question because i have like a semi like a pretty good 
you know, just from my like casual life understanding of Greek mythology that I probably, you know, is probably more in depth than it should. To me, there's obvious answers, right? There's like Ares. He's the god of war. Like that would be cool. There's like Poseidon, the god of war, something like that. I think to me, and Christian, I'm interested to hear your answer after dubbing yourself the um, bastard god of the bastard son of Zeus earlier. I think I'd like to be Hermes. If you guys don't know, Hermes is the ancient god of trade, wealth, luck, fertility, and then some stuff that I'm not really as into, like animal husbandry. But it's the stuff about uh, trade, wealth, luck, thieves, and travel that I'm into. So gaining some of powers in the, you know, Hermes got those little uh, fly shoes that I'd be interested in gaining to make my mile time a little faster, be a lot better at soccer probably, Um, you know, luck, I would really appreciate some good luck in my life, being better at stealing, you know, while, you know, morally ambiguous is probably going to help me out at some points in my life, so I'm going to go with Hermes. I like that answer a lot. Hermes is not someone I even considered, but really good practical answer. So I have two answers and mine, to be honest, are not as fleshed out as yours, but I did want to say them. So my first answer is Dionysus, who is the god of love and wine and also fertility. And I like that guy a lot. I unabashedly like to enjoy an alcoholic beverage every now and then, so I think Dionysus would be pretty fitting for me. If not him, I've also always really, really liked Hephaestus because pretty much universally throughout Greek mythology, dude got a really bad rap for seemingly no reason other than being kind of ugly, but he's also the god of blacksmithing, which is pretty awesome. So if he was my bastard father, I'd probably be really good at fixing stuff. I'd probably have a pretty good sense of working on machinery or building things with my hands, which are things I enjoy doing. So you know what? Hashtag justice for Hephaestus. That's my campaign. Justice for Hephaestus. I love those answers. And I'm actually a little upset that I didn't think of the the first one. Um, just a little a little tidbit. If you Google Hermes God, they have the little thing where it's like, um, you know, I wrote this down because I thought it was funny. There's the people always ask section. And the first question is, was Hermes a good God? And if you click into the link, the answer is no. So I'm not sure how that stacks up for me, having identified myself as Hermes in this situation, or the go- or the son of Hermes. But either way, Christian, we have made uh, a big step. We've moved into the world of 2007. We're on social media now. How about that? Yeah, finally, we're caught up to date with a platform that people have been actively moving off for years. We have a Twitter, guys. How about that? If you use Twitter... Go follow us. We are at at Bad Movie Journal. Somehow that wasn't taken. Whatever. At Bad Movie Journal. Go follow us. Of course it wasn't taken. No one besides me or you ever sat down and was like, what if we journaled all these bad movies? And the people who had probably didn't think of as cool of a name. So yes, follow us on Twitter at Bad Movie Journal. Uh, we're later going to tweet out this Justice 4 hashtag so you guys can all get that going as well. Uh, but feel free to give us a follow, drop us a comment, come and interact with us. Let us know people are listening. Let us know that these mythical v- listeners out there really exist. Christian, is there anything else you'd like to add today? That is it. I think we made it right up Mount Olympus. We've made it to 
the God's Palace, and we're here, we're hanging out, we're gonna live forever. Forever until, just like Io, we die anyway. An immortal being who somehow just died anyway. That didn't make any sense, now that I think about that. (laughs) Did did not even occur to me. I wrote that down and was like, I'm just gonna move past this point. There's a lot of other bigger issues, (laughs) but she comes back to life at the end, so who knows, maybe I'm wrong. Christian, until next week, my friend, you stay frosty. Stay frosty, Connor.